Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. We share good news and godly wisdom to empower you to be salt and light in every season of life. Saturday, February 11th, Christians from across the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex will gather for a time of crying out to God for revival and healing. Doug Stringer, who will be one of the keynote speakers, talks with Lewis Hogan and Dysa Pan, the organizers of DFW Awake. After the episode, consider leaving a review and follow us on your favorite streaming platform. If you've gleaned anything from this podcast, consider paying it forward with a gift at somebodycares.org. Now let's join our host, Doug Stringer. It's a great honor today to have two incredible prayer warriors, ministers of the gospel, uh, but more than that, the hearts of revivalists and my friends. Lewis Hogan has pastored for over 25 years. He and his wife, Rachel, birthed United Cry back in October of 2012. He's also the founder of DFW Praise, a network of 500 churches in the Dallas Metroplex that covers government, culture, and churches in continuous night and day prayer. Dai Han is passionate about promoting relationships and building bridges among Jesus followers. He also mobilizes prayer and is actively networking servant leaders and intercessors in response to Jesus's prayer in John 17, 20 through 23. Dai Sup is a former Los Angeles high school teacher, served with Youth with a Mission, and served as the national facilitator for Prayer Surge Now, a weekly Saturday morning national prayer call since 2007. As we could spend hours just going over the things you, God has done to kind of lay out some foundations for you and why you do what you do. Let's talk about why you and Rachel started United Cry and a little bit of your story. And then fast forward to what's about to happen. And then I'm going to ask Dice up the same thing. Thank you so much, Doug, for having us on today. You know, it's been a, such a journey, an incredible journey since 2012, as you shared our bio just a few minutes ago with pastoring. And then the Lord called us kind of really supernaturally into United Cry. And that was through two personal encounters with the Lord, one dealing with the house of prayer and the other dealing with the issue of abortion in our nation. So when we launched out United Cry, it was really with two mandates targeting pastors. We really felt like pastors were be the ones that the Lord put on our heart to bring together in uh, unity and prayer uh, to really take a stand for life in our nation, but also bring them together to see true revival and awakening. And those sound maybe a little bit separate, like separate issues of prayer and life, but I have really felt like that those two things go hand in hand, that we would, we had to see the ending of abortion, legalized abortion in our nation. The life issue was so in the heart of the Lord that he, we had to deal with that as a nation in order to see a true outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And of course, we're still dealing with the issue of abortion. Thank God for what took place last June uh, with our Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade. And I believe that that it was it was so key and a, and a real marker for us of what the season that we're in right now, that we are to really press into revival, to awakening, to the great harvest. And so that's really why we started United Cry was with those mandates and believing that this is, we're in that season right now of a great harvest. Of course, we have this, as you said, a gathering taking place up here in Dallas, uh, February 10th and 11th called DFW Awake. And I know Dice Up Han is on with us also, and we'll share more about that. But that is really, I feel like a, in some ways, a culmination of what we've been doing the last 10 years and feeling the Lord saying in this season we're in right now to really concentrate uh, United Cry on the Dallas-Fort Worth region, that the Lord is wanting to do something here in this area, here in Texas, that would touch not only our nation, but the nations of the earth. And so that's why I, I just feel the, the kiss of the Lord on this gathering on February the 11th, and so excited about it. Dice up, I want you to kind of share to your journey and culminating to where we are now. You know, as an immigrant from Seoul, born and raised in Seoul, Korea for the first eight years of my life and living in the biggest city of America, New York City in the 70s, and then immigrating to California and living in Los Angeles area. Uh, the Lord has really blessed me with a passion to see all cultures, all denominations, uh, various generations come together. I think that that's, that's been the longing of the Father's heart for our nation. We are a nation of nations. That includes almost 600 identified First Nations, 
and then God's first nation of Israel. And to go to a place like DFW, where I've visited many, many times, and to serve alongside with uh, both Lewis and you, because Doug, you'll be coming as one of the keynote speakers. Uh, it's just uh, beyond what I could ever ask or imagine. However, it's not about the number of people. It's not about the location. It's not even the words that we pray, but it's the condition of our hearts that God is looking for, that God has always looked for as many people as he could find that would be fully committed to him and his kingdom. We call Jesus Lord. We call Jesus King. And we call him the Lion of Judah. And yet I think that many of us in the church, we rather keep him as a savior who saves us and kind of allows us to live this uh, comfortable life. I believe that has caused such damage to our nation and that we're not truly as the ecclesia pursuing him as Lord and King, as the Lion of Judah. And so when we come together, whether it's few or many, in a place like DFW or a number of other cities that we're going to, and then we say, we are longing for you, Jesus. We truly want to make you Lord of our lives. We want you to be king over us. And although you call us as friends, we want to serve you. And when God sees that condition of our hearts, then he gives us what he always wanted to give us, personal awakening, personal transformation revival, which then leads to a citywide, regional, national, and even global awakening and global harvest. So that's what's motivating us. That's what uh, gets me uh, waking up in the morning and just continuing to serve the Lord and partnering with brothers like you. You both have made some already good points and even in your, your sharing where your hearts are and what you want to see. We obviously know that we are, especially in this country now, we should be as a church, one blood, many nations, crossing our racial, denominational, generational lines. Both of you, long before you came into what you're doing now, had a heart for mission and a heart for revival, a heart for awakening. So that's really what continues to drive you through the difficulties and the unexpected detours and pressures in life. Dysup, you were a missionary, worked with Youth of the Mission, but you also had this continual passion for United Prayer, as well as Lewis. I know that you, in, in 2016, I had the pleasure of being with you. You hosted the gathering, a United Cry up in Washington, D.C. at Lincoln Memorial. What a historic moment that was, but that was birthed out of difficulties so many of the things that each of you have been involved in, and I would include myself because I've really, the th same thing drives me for 41 years now, is realizing everything I do has to come out of presence through prayer, worship, and surrender to the Lord. And that's not always easy. It's easier said than done at times. And we go through these moments. What is the significance and the critical importance of prayer in the context? We've seen history. I'm reading a book that Derek Prince wrote, and you know he passed in 2003, and it's prophetic today. It's called The Beast or the Lamb. And I sense how prophetic that is now, because we, we really do need to understand that we are not of this world, but we live in it, and that we are not of the kingdoms of this world, but we are yielded to the, the King, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who is the Lion and the Lamb. And so I'm not beholden to a donkey party, elephant party, but I am beholden to the the lamb and the lion of the Lord, the tribe of Judah. How do each of you see the significance and critical importance of prayer in the context, not just historically, we've seen what God has done, but in the context of where we are today? Everyone remembers those the last three years and what we've gone through. And just remember being on pastor's gatherings of prayer, you know, through Zoom and so on. And everyone was praying together. And one of the, one of the pastors would say, well, when do you guys think everything's going to return back to normal? I just remember so distinctly when I hear that statement, just something in my heart just wanted to just, you know, say, hey, I don't think things are going to return back to normal. We're in a different season now, and we have to recognize that. And I really, truly believe that the season that we're in. And it's a season of intense warfare, as we all know. Uh, back in December, 
right before Christmas, I heard the Lord say that we are in a season, what I just heard to say of divine interruptions, or that statement, divine interruptions. Felt like I knew a little bit what the Lord was saying in that, but not having the whole picture. Then we get to January 3rd, or January 2nd, I believe it was, the second day of the year, and on Monday Night Football, we're watching a football game, the Buffalo Bills, and the football player, uh, DeMar Hamlin, I believe was his name. You know, here they're playing a normal game of football. Everyone's watching it nationwide. And then that he goes down with cardiac arrest. And in a moment, everything changes. And those players go from, from you know, from playing the game of football and sweating and all that goes into that to the next moment, they're all on their knees. We see them on national TV, all on their knees, crying out to God. And even an ESPN analyst praying. And just in a moment, everything changed. It was a call to prayer. And I felt the word, and of course, others have felt this also, that that was a prophetic picture. I believe the season we're in right now, and we're going to have these divine interruptions where the Lord is going to call in a moment, everything changes, and it is a call to prayer. And of course, I do believe we're in this intense spiritual battle over our nation that we're all a part of and in, and the only answer for it, I really truly believe, is going to this place of prayer. I think even we're in a season right now of our prayers. I, I keep hearing, I just keep hearing this thing of war room strategies of prayer that we have to have. Uh, there is a, a, a posture that we need in our prayer gatherings, in our personal prayer life, in our prayer gatherings, where we go in with that heart of intensity toward, toward the Lord and that heart of prayer toward the Lord. And it's not just kind of nonchalant prayer gatherings or personal prayer time, it is something that is in our heart that is driving us to this place of prayer to understand it's through prayer and it's through fasting that we are going to see these battles won on our own families, our own lives, and over our nation. And the Lord is going to be victorious, but it's going to be through the prayers of his people and that we have to have that posture of, of real uh, I just almost call it war prayers. It's, it's that intensity in our prayer. I think we all sense it, that we're in a divine moment, an intense moment uh, in this hour. And the Lord is calling us to go deeper in our, in our level of conse consecrated life as we live a consecrated life, to go deeper in that. And then our prayers uh, must begin to reflect what the Lord is sharing and what he's doing in our hearts and our lives. And that just kind of that war room strategy of prayer that the Lord is releasing that's going to, to be victorious in the battles we're facing over our nation. And they, we will be victorious, but it can't be just a nonchalant kind of laid back attitude is what I'm sensing from the Lord. We must have that intensity uh, in our own hearts that is driving what, what, what the Lord is saying and doing in this hour. And it affects all areas of our life. And, and to walk that road of holiness and purity as, as, as believers, as pastors, as leaders is so critical Right now, uh, as we as in this time of prayer and this time of, of uh, strategic prayer over our families and over our nation, over our churches, that's going to release all that God desires and release true revival and awakening. Uh, so that's kind of what I have been sensing from the Lord. And uh, so I'll, I'll stop right there and let Di also share. So that brings up a great point because you gave the example of what happened on that Monday night football and here we are in the culture that keeps saying you can't pray in school, you can't pray, no praying in the Monday night, you know, yeah. high school football games. And yet in a moment of desperate desperation and crisis, prayers don't become just shallow platitudes. It becomes a prayer of, of passion and desperation. I remember That's years cool. ago in an article I wrote probably in 1990 something for, for a magazine, and it was called Pray Until Something Happens. One of the things I wrote was... Prayer is so much more than handing a list of requests to God. If you want earth-shaking results, you will be required to travail until heaven's plan becomes a reality on earth. Mm. And yet, if we're honest with ourselves, we must admit that our prayers often degenerate into little more than religious incantations or shallow platitudes spoken out of a sense of, of religious duty. What mm. we saw happen that night was a spontaneous move of people that were just stunned. And the teams, both teams, you could see the, even the, the players with tears and just yeah. in shock. And they don't care what the rules are. They don't care what people thought. 
they went to their knees anyway. And yeah. as you said, the ESPN and uh, and those sportscasters began to pray, and and all of a sudden it didn't matter. It went beyond yeah. the status quo. And so dice up. You know, you've been around prayer movements, and and I think even the idea of pressure and desperation coming from South Korea for being a prayer center around the world, and yet it's in the context of a constant tension and pressure of the unknown that forces people to their knees. So would you address some of your thoughts on where we are? I have many, many mentors uh, in my life who have sowed into me, and one of those is Dick Simmons. Uh, He went home to be with the Lord a couple of years ago. And uh, he had the mantle of calling men to prayer. And one of the things he taught us is the Father wants to lavish us with good gifts. But when he does that, we often become complacent. We Mm. often become self-centered. We often become too comfortable. Mm. And I'm wondering if, what if the church was praying in the 1950s? Because in the 40s, we were praying because of World War II right? And there was some prayer during the Korean War in the 1950s, but in the 50s, our economy was booming. We were the leader of the world. But in the early 60s, Supreme Supreme, uh, Court ruled against school prayer. But if prayer was being prayed in homes and churches and in public places, in desperation, when things were good, I don't think the Supreme Court would have ruled against prayer because we would have seen miraculous things happening, right? Maybe even Cold War coming to an end in the 50s instead of until Ronald Reagan right. <laughs> decades later. Uh, sometimes when we see things like the woke movement and the uh, pro-abortion movement that it's still thriving, even though Roe v. Wade, I, I kind of wonder if we have been praying and, and we have been the answer to our own prayers. I kind of wonder if the culture of America would be very different today. And uh, besides uh, uh, Dick Simmons, I know uh, a 97-year-old Southern Baptist preacher by the name of Fred Lunsford. He stormed the beaches of Normandy. He fought in the Battle of the Bulge. But the victory happened because there was an air campaign and there was that landing, landing on Normandy. There was Battle of the Bulge. And I think prayer, what prayer does is it allows the air offense. It, it, it takes out the, the wicked places in, in, in heavenly realms, the, the demonic strongholds, so that it, it allows everyday Christians who are also praying, but is able to engage in conversations with neighbors, help out in those in need, that allows the gospel to go through in the in the ground war, right? So I think I think we need both. We need prayer, but the very people who are praying, we got to be the first ones to say, "I want to be the answer to prayer." So at these awake gatherings, there's going to be action points. If we just gather to pray and worship, pat ourselves on the back, we did what God wants us to do. Now let's go back to the way things were. Jesus says, "We we create a vacuum." And the devil comes back seven times greater force. So it has to be prayer and obedient action coming together. I think we all agree with that. So I'm excited about what's what's coming up in DFW. Yeah, my first book that I ever wrote, and uh, my wife doesn't like it when I say this because I published it in my pre-published version was 1989 and got officially published in 1990. But I tell her it's the worst thing I ever wrote. I was just thrown down my thoughts, you know, about all the, my experience with God and this no nonsense, live holy before God. And and yet my life probably didn't fit correctly either. I've learned a lot since then. But uh, that book keeps recirculating everywhere I go. And I, I won't even get into what the book's about. But uh, I had quoted a few people, but I quoted in there a person who was at the time the president of Vets with a Mission, who had been going and taking Christian veterans back to Vietnam, who had survivor's guilt and were struggling in their own lives, marriages, et cetera, and just felt like they needed to connect to some of what they left there. So we're going to do humanitarian work in Vietnam. So I went with them as a, a chaplain. But I learned this from, at that time, the president of that organization. He said that there are 
were three things the church has had to overcome in 2,000 years. And I've I've kind of added it to four things, three or four things. That is this, that the church has always had to overcome times of persecution. But every time there was persecution, the church still grew. You can't stop the gospel, the, the kingdom of God. The second was the areas of poverty, where even in the midst of depressions, in the midst of difficult times, in the midst of economic problems, God always seemed to find the fishes and loaves to provide for the church to begin to prosper. But the two things the church has never been able to overcome in 2,000 years, and Dicep, you mentioned this, is long periods of peace or prosperity, because instead of being using these as resources, God has desired to give us peace and prosperity. He desires to give us uh, these things as stewardship, but when we begin to get them, we forget why we have them, and we become self-absorbed, self-righteous, self-centered, and then we no longer fulfill the mandate of why we have the resources to go extend the kingdom of God. And so then the cycle starts of so shakings have to come, get us back to where what we're called to do. And then he moved us out of just like with the apostles in Jerusalem, they were to go to Jerusalem to tarry for the outpouring, but they were called to go to the known nations of the world with the gospel. But after many years, they became settled in just enjoying where they were right in Jerusalem. And there had to be a shaking to get the gospel to go forth. And so I totally agree. I think that we're at a place right now where the shakings have come so that all that can be shaken can be shaken, but yet the unshakable kingdom of God is being manifested. Would you guys now share with me again a little bit about why, because both of you have been a part of major prayer initiatives, as I have. Why now? Why DFW Awake and why Awake across the country and why starting right now in Dallas? And I know Lewis and, and Dicep, you invited me to be a part of something in Brady, Texas, the heart of Texas. Uh, there's something that keeps driving to keep pushing this because it's not something we just stop. We've got to keep uh, the momentum going and engaging heaven. So why now at Dallas-Fort Worth, why DFW Awake? Well, allow me to share a little bit first. So last year was an incredible year. Uh, I got to uh, be with uh, both of you and hundreds of mostly Texans at uh, Prayer at the Heart of Texas and Brady in April. That was the only Prayer at the Heart gathering I was able to go to. I didn't even go to the one in my own state because uh, it was my daughter's uh, baby shower and I had to, it was a co-ed baby shower, so I had to go to that here in Colorado. But also I was able to coordinate the uh, Billion Soul Harvest Global Summit. It was a second year, but it was the first time it was open to anyone to come. And so experiencing both of that, I believe the Lord planted a seed in me to say, Dicep, why don't you talk to your friends across the country to bring a gathering that combines the need for local spiritual awakening, national great awakening, and the need for global harvest together? Bring that back together for a second. You're saying the need for local and national coming together, something of a synergy that happens there. So unpack that a little bit. Every city in America is in the need of spiritual awakening, big and small, okay? But those spiritual awakenings must also move us towards a national great awakening. We don't stop there. It has to go towards global harvest because in Acts chapter one, Jesus said, I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit. Don't try to figure out when I'm going to come back and kick out the Herods and the Caesars. I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit because I want to give you the Holy Spirit so it could be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He, Jesus wasn't saying, stay in Jerusalem until everybody's saved, then go to the rest of Judea, then maybe have the courage to go to Samaria, the people you can't stand, and then perhaps you might think about going to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying, Holy Spirit is given to us so we could, we could pursue all those places at once. And the persecution came to Jerusalem because many of the Jerusalem Christians were just comfortable being in the capital city of Israel. And God used the persecution to disperse the Christians, mostly Jews, all over the world. Uh, that's why we're calling it DFW Awake. But why does God want to bring spiritual awakening to the, quote, most Christianized metro place on earth? Well, it's Christianized based on church attendance is because he wants to bless the whole nation. 
but he also wants millions of people around the world to have access to the gospel. So that's why I approached uh, Lewis several months ago, and that's why we're on track to, to have this gathering on February 11th. Dice-up, I think our format of what we're doing that day on February 11th mimics what you just described, and that we're going to have three main sessions during the day on, February, on that Saturday. The first one is going to be kind of, it's going to be concentrating on our, this region of Dallas-Fort Worth, North Texas district uh, that morning. Then our afternoon session is going to center more on national, the nation. And then, of course, our evening session will be more focused on the global, on, on the nations. So following that plan, and I, I so believe in that. And I'm excited about it because, of course, we're, we're calling together pastors and leaders and intercessors from across the Metroplex to come together in that gathering. And I see it from the Lord as uh, those that he's bringing together is not going to be for a one-time gathering, you know, for a one-time event. It is going to be something the Lord is going to continue on throughout the year. And he's really giving us a kind of a strategic plan that we're actually going to lay out this plan at the gathering on Saturday the 11th, a strategic corporate prayer that will be happening in this region throughout the rest, throughout the rest of this year. Uh, places and dates, specific dates of prayer, corporate gatherings. But I also sense what I shared a few minutes ago, this thing of divine interruptions, that there's going to be times in this uh, throughout this year and events will drive it. It could be whatever, you know, it could be, uh, uh, you know, natural disasters or it could be crisis situations. But in a moment, there's a call to prayer and that we will have a group, even from this gathering on Saturday, February the 11th, of intercessors that are that are knit together in relationship that we can call in a moment saying it is a call to prayer. So we'll have st st strategic gatherings, but also in a moment's notice, we can gather these intercessors together. So I see the Lord putting something together for this gathering. It's going to go well beyond just that one day of this call to prayer. And it will truly birth out revival and awakening here in the Metroplex. It will be sustainable and will be strategic and intentional moving forward beyond February the 11th. That's what excites my heart. What I appreciate about working with both of you and others that prayer is not an event to you. The events are the culmination of what goes on beneath the surface. And it's not just, let's get together and let's pray because most prayer events turn into kumbaya, navel gazing, pontificating, speeches. Those are okay. But if we're going to come together to pray out of desperation, there has to be more than just a bunch of good messages by uh, wonderfully oratorically gifted communicators. We mm -hmm. need to have people who are passionate about the presence of God. You know, in Dicep, you said earlier, or alluded to, all of us here want to see the crossing of racial, denominational, generational lines. We want to see John 17. We want to see the authentic unity of the brethren. But that doesn't mean lowest common denominator, because we see in the midst of what's happening today, there is a, a shaking at every level, even in the church. I was talking to a couple of friends who have large Methodist churches, for example, and nothing, I have a lot of friends who are Methodists. Let me preface it with that. What I'm saying is there has been an ongoing divisiveness and shaking within certain denominations because they have been complicit. Elements of those denominations, or even any church, really have been complicit to compromise or sin. Unity is not to say, well, let's just let anybody do what they want. Love is just, hey, just do what you want. As a parent, both of you are parents, you love your children enough that you have to give them instruction and direction and guidance and even correction when needed. And so if we've come to the place we won't receive God's correction anymore, we then begin to compromise, become complicit with sin, and ultimately we suffer the consequences. So this friend of mine who is... Uh, well, two of my megachurch Methodist churches have chosen to leave the United Methodist denomination because they love where they've come from. But they, in fact, one of them was a president of a major Methodist university. And they, but they felt that they could not walk together unless they agree. And so rather than come against what they're leaving, they've become a part of something that better fits what they believe is a biblically sound relationship in the Lord and started being a part of another global movement of Methodists. I remember one friend of mine who is the pastor of Ambassador Haley, former governor of South Carolina, 
he sent me this quote by John Wesley, who you know passed in 1791, but how prophetic he said, and this is a founder of the Methodist movement, I am not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist, either in Europe or in America, but I am afraid lest they should only exist as a dead sect, having the form of religion without the power. And this undoubtedly will be the case unless they hold fast both the doctrine, spirit, and discipline with which they first set out. Now, if you take the even the term Methodist out, that could be true for all of us. We've seen such a shaking even in the, the independent, charismatic, you know, non-denominational churches. Every denomination, there has been a sifting taking place. So when we talk about coming together, we're not coming together in lowest common denominator. We're saying all are welcome. But let's seek together the presence of the Lord. Second Chronicle 5, when you're in the presence of a holy, holy, holy God, you can't come out according to division because you've been in awe of this holy God. So, uh, Dicep, would you address even a little bit about that, but what authentic unity is? And then also, Lewis, talk about the importance of contending for that which is authentic. I think one of the big issues in the church, especially here in the West, is that we become too efficient. We put things in compartments, right? And we went as far as saying the, the building is the house of God. Building is the church. So we do church on Sunday mornings, but we don't need to do church rest of the week. But I want to use scriptural definition. Church, we are the church. Church is the people of God, right? And we no longer have a temple like in the Old Testament. So wherever we go, we bring the house of God with us, right? And, and, and the same thing with, uh, uh, there's this, there should not be a tension between the local churches and ministries. I call it congregations and ministries. There should be no tension. We're all part of the church. Uh, and also the tension between intercessory ministry and missions and outreach ministry, I see God demolishing the walls between the two. Connected. Because because before Jesus said, gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, go ye therefore, to the same group of guys in Matthew 9, he said, pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest, that he will send laborers to the harvest. So Jesus was saying this to the very guys. They were praying that, the, uh, that, that Jesus will send the laborers into the harvest, but it was actually them. Right. So but I, I think sometimes we go, well, I'm an intercessor. I don't do the mission stuff. I don't need to tell people about Jesus because my job. Now, mind you, some people are called to spend more time in the prayer closet. Some people are. Uh, God has called them to spend more time engaging with the culture. But we are to do both. We are to do both. And that's what I'm really excited about. I agree. And for years, and, and I and I understand where terminologies and verbiage comes from. I've always said I didn't like the term parachurch ministry, because that means that I'm somehow, or if you're an outreach ministry, you're separate from the church. But reality, it's a part of the church. It's an extension of the mission. And so to be para is to be outside. Uh, so I understand what people mean by that, but I think it's come to become, meaning what you were saying, that somehow it's outside this building. Whereas reality is a part of our mission. It's the mission of the church to engage the culture so that people would be be a part of the kingdom of God, to go out and preach and heal and teach and, and, and bring the kingdom of God wherever they go. The late Jack Hayford, who went to be with the Lord recently, I was so honored. You know, he even used that term in, in, in endorsing one of my books. I forgot how many he said he considered our ministry one of the top five parachurch ministries he's ever known in 50 years. Well, I, I'm honored that he even sees us that way, which I, I don't see us that way. But again, a term parachurch ultimately to me means outside, but I feel like I'm a part of the church. I've pastored churches. I've, my heart and mission is to extend the kingdom through the things that we do. And so I appreciate it. We did the same thing with generations. Biblically, generation is everybody living in a 40-year period, but we separate the younger, the middle-aged, the older, and I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, we need to learn how the younger people think, but God has given every one of us equal potential through the Holy Spirit. 
That's right. So I get that. There, I think we're coming to a multi-generational prophetic generation to prepare the way for an outpouring and ultimately the coming of the Lord. I was with an Orthodox Jewish couple at a meeting on pro-life stuff recently, and we were having lunch and I'm listening to them talk about the coming of the Lord. It's at hand. And I'm thinking, wow, and then we're all sensing something is up and realizing that it can't be about an age. It is about a multi-generational connection for what God is about to do, preparing the way for ultimately the coming of the Lord. Definitely. And, you know, um, we use the word authentic in some ways, I almost want to use the word basics again. You know, I almost hesitate a little bit to share this, but a couple of weeks ago, I heard this term from the Lord. And it's, it sounds a little almost negative when I say it, but it's a positive what the Lord is saying. I heard him say it's demo day in the church. <laughs> that's what I heard. And of course, there's a show that's kind of famous here in Texas and others know with there's a family in Waco called the Gaines family who has a show called Fixer Upper where they take homes and fix them up. And kind of their famous statement on that show is it's demo day where they go in with sledgehammers and it looks like they're going to destroy the house. They're not destroying it. They're kind of taking it back to the studs so they can rebuild it into something beautiful and what something new and and, uh, beautiful. And when I heard the Lord say that, I thought because I I feel like the Lord was just speaking maybe to me personally, but it was, I believe the Lord in some ways is coming into the church, going to take it Go back to the basics, back to the studs, if you want to put it that way, because it is the season that we're in. It is the end times. It is he is going to be getting his church ready for the coming of the Lord. And part of that is the church has to be fully awake, awakened in this season. And, you know, I had three teenage boys uh, that we my wife and I raised. And of course, my story with my teenage boys is when in the mornings to get them up for school, is you would go in there, first of all, if they were still in bed, not up when they were supposed to be, you'd go open the door and kind of gently say, one of my son's name was Jonathan. Jonathan, it's 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 time to get up for school. You'll kind of hear this grunt from the, you know, mm, from the bed, you know, and mm-hmm. you leave and about five minutes later, you don't hear anything happening in that room. So you go back and you say a little more sternly, Jonathan, you need to get up. And okay, okay, I'll get up. And then you still don't hear anything for a few. So the third time you go in, you do the shaking. You know, you go up to them and you kind of shake them. It is time to get up. And I feel like that's what the Lord is doing right now in the church, that we're in that shaking time. But it's for a purpose and a reason to awaken the church, that we're in that season, the returning of the Lord. And I think he, in some ways he's going to take us back to the basics of prayer and fasting and uh, evangelism, and I feel like w- what we're doing with these uh, what these awake conferences is that's what this is all about. It's prayer, it's fasting, it's awakening the church to the season that we're in to see a global harvest. It's to prepare the church for the turn of the Lord, and I'm excited about. It. I'm so thankful to be alive in the season that we're that we're in. I, I tell people, and I believe it, the four, our forefathers in the faith long to live in the day I think that we're living in right now, and we're going to we're going to see a great outpouring and harvest and the return of the Lord. And I'm excites my heart. <laughs> well, Dice Up and Lewis, uh, we've got a few more minutes left and I wanted to share whatever's on your heart. What I've noticed about both of you is your tenacity and perseverance, even through difficult times, pushing through. And I think that's what's going to take. You know, I was part of the helping to document and be a part of the Sentinel group, which put out the original and many others as Transforming Revival videos. And one of the things we recognize of the many commonalities, one of the first is persevering leadership. So thank you for your leadership. It was the last few weeks of 2022 coming into the middle of January, 2023, I was processing and I began to just uh, grieve and travail. Uh, I was really in a spirit of, of anguish about just the state of where I think I've seen things. And it's easy to take in all in the shahar, the gateway to our heart and thoughts and, and spirit. There's all the junk that's swirling out there, even to see what's happening in the church. I, I expect the world to be the world, but but what I see happening even in, in the church world. And so finally it was Tuesday night, January 17th, as I've been processing three primary words, and that was exposure, uh, implosions, and explosions. And, and I'll unpack that just briefly because I, I don't want to do much because I actually taught on this in Creating Me a Clean Heart podcast I did last week, one before this one, and uh, where I was really listening to a song by Keith Green. But 
on uh, the Tuesday night, January 17th, full of anguish, just stressed, not so much stress, but just carrying this burden for I saw we as the church have been, even institutionally, you know, that we've been worshiping the the Bethel, the, the institution rather than the L of the institution, El Bethel. And so I just regrouping for all that. And so finally that night, my wife went to sleep. I'm laying there in the bed. I'm still full of anguish and travail. And in my quiet intercession, I just felt like the Lord said, grab your phone and listen to that old song you used to like by Keith Green, quoting from Psalm 51, creating me a clean heart. And as I began just to listen, it's in this heaviness, something as I began to listen two or three times, I broke and tears began to flow. And I felt a breakthrough. The Baal Perazim, the God of the breakthrough, something happened in my spirit. And what the Lord was speaking to me is that, yes, there's going to continue to be an exposure. I'm going to expose spotlight what's happening in the hidden place in my church. But I'm also going to set a spotlight on deception that's in, in the nation, in the world. And you're going to begin to see it come to the surface. But here's what you do. Because as institutions begin to implode, that there will also through that be an explosion of the move of my spirit. Because it's in times like this that I can do something with those who I've spotlighted that have not compromised, have not become complicit to sin, have not become complacent or compromised. But I can, I can use those who continue to come before me, and I'm going to have an explosion of my presence that no person can put their fingerprint on. It's going to be something that God does in a very uh, providential way. I was going to say supernatural. It's not supernatural to him. It's not a suddenly to him. It's suddenly to us. And so the breakthrough came when I, the Lord began to say, the way to battle what's happening is don't let those things dictate who you are. Yes, exposure will continue. Yes, implosions will happen. And yes, I'm going to expand and bring explosion to what I want in my kingdom and for what's going to happen across the board. But it starts with self-reflection of going back to things like Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God. So it always starts with us. If God can do a work in us, then he can do a work through us. And so I shared that in my last podcast. And I want you guys to take the next few moments, share with us what we're coming into. And if you resonate with what I just said, because I'm I mean, I could be way off because I didn't have pizza that night, but I just felt that's what God's been saying the last few weeks, that what we're coming into, things like DFW Awake and what's happening across America, that there has been an unseen place of a lot of good things happening that the world will never declare. But it's going to take these suddenly moments like what happened on the Monday Night Football to show there's an element of the presence of God that still people are longing for. And the only hope for our future is that there would be a longing in the hearts of people for the authentic. Take the last couple minutes and just share what's on your heart and make sure you share us some more details about DFW Wake and beyond. Well, first of all, uh, please get in touch with Lewis or myself. Uh, you could reach Lewis at Lewis, that's L-E-W-I-S at unitedcry.org. Or you could reach me at billionsoulharvest at gmail.com. You know, you mentioned Keith Green. Keith Green is a classic example of someone who experienced personal revival transformation. He lived an awakened life. He only lived seven years as a Christian before he died in that tragic plane crash in 1982. But he also was desperate to see spiritual awakening in Los Angeles and in East Texas and DFW where he lived at the end of his life. He was longing for a great awakening across America, but he was also desperate for global harvest. Before Lewis uh, wraps us up with additional details, the theme verse for DFW Awake Gathering is, pass through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, remove the stones, and raise the banner for the nations. I think there's stones in my heart that God wants to remove. He wants me to have a pure heart so that together we could build this highway of holiness everywhere we go. And when I look at the map of uh, DFW, I see highways everywhere. The interstates, the, the state highways, the county roads. And from DFW, you could easily get to Houston where you are, but you could get to almost anywhere in America. But that is true with any major city in America or even small towns. We're all interconnected through these highways. And I believe that God wants to do something amazing beyond 
what we can ask or imagine. And that not only on February 11th, but as Lewis continues to meet with his friends in DFW on a monthly basis, that I am expecting something to happen in a supernatural way throughout 2023 in DFW and elsewhere. So I'm really excited about this. Well, this will be the first of the awake gatherings. So you're planning on doing these across the country? Well, this is the first of the all-day gathering. We're going to have three other smaller gatherings in Texas. And then in March, we're going to have another three smaller gatherings in Southern California and a large one, an all-day Saturday one as well. And then in April, we have one planned for New Mexico. But I feel like God is saying, don't go beyond that for now. Don't get ahead of me. Walk with me. And I'm working with friends like Lewis in all these different cities. So I'm really excited. Just do feel so the kiss of the Lord on this gathering. And uh, I believe the Lord has some things in store for us, even on that day that we goes beyond what we can even think or imagine. I just sense that. And Doug, I'm so thrilled and that you're able to be with us uh, on that Saturday, the 11th, and just see God bringing together some just the individuals that are on his heart to, to, to really lead this gathering. I'm so thankful you're there that day. Uh, if you'd like to register for it, very simple, just go to unitedcry.com. And on the homepage, when you, when you do that, there's a link there that says DFW Awake and takes you to the registration form. It's just a short registration form. We're not charging anything for the conference. Uh, we're actually providing lunch uh, as a part of the, of the day and just believing it's going to uh, release something in the Metroplex. And I don't know what all that is other than I do believe that this is uh, a precursor to what the Lord is going to be doing throughout this year in gathering uh, leaders and pastors and intercessors together in a prayer gatherings like we've never experienced before in Dallas. You know, Dallas has been not the easiest place, honestly, as, as I uh, alluded to that. We we're here. We're kind of the belt buckle of the Bible belt, as they say. And uh, we have 5000 churches, in the Metroplex, and it's been very difficult to unite, bring churches together, pastors together to pray. But I sense the favor. We're in a different season now. And even this gathering, as, as we're leaders and pastors are coming together, I'm excited about it to see what the Lord is doing, bringing together individuals that I've never seen gathered together before. Again, I just feel like what the Lord has in store for us is going to be beyond what we can even imagine at this, at this moment. And I'm so thankful for it. Amen. Would you I like have to... one more thing? Yeah, is that unitedcry.com or .org? Either one. <laughs> Actually, I said unitedcry.com. You can go to either one of those and it'll get you there. Yes. So just one more thing. If you email either myself or Lewis, we will send those folks a special invitation-only gathering the night before. Uh, we're going to have a pre-DFW worship and prayer gathering. And I hope to see you there uh, for that as well, Doug. But uh, I I'm just excited. I'm going to start my drive to Texas on February 3rd. We're going to hit some of the smaller towns before before I arrive and work together with Lewis in, in Big D. So really looking forward to that. Well, we're looking forward to it. And I absolutely want to be there. I got my sleeping bag ready for the night before so we can be there to be a part of the worship as well. Again, why don't you both take a moment to pray? Father, I just thank you so much for this opportunity today to be with uh Doug, Dr. Doug Stringer, and Dice Upon. Lord, I just bless these men. Uh, it's such a privilege to walk in uh, this journey with them, Lord Jesus. And Father, we know and believe, God, that we are living in unusual times, Lord. I do truly believe we're living in the days that even those that had gone before us long to live in this day, Lord, that we are going to see a great, great outpouring of your Holy Spirit and revival and awakening across the Dallas-Fort Worth region, across Texas, our nation, the nations of the earth, Lord, we're in that season, Lord, and we're so grateful to see this great harvest, Lord, of, of souls coming into your kingdom, Lord, uh, before you return, and we're, we're, we know we're there, Lord, and we're just so grateful to be a part of it. If I, I do pray for your anointing, for your favor upon this gathering in Dallas, February 10th and 11th. Lord, that you will continue to move on the hearts of pastors and leaders, intercessors, believers, Lord, 
that to come together on that day, Lord, that there's something larger that you're doing than just a one day gathering, or there's something that you're going to birth in that place. I believe that here in the region, Lord, that will touch our state and touch our nation. And so, Father, just thank you for your uh, calling us into this, Lord. Thank you for your favor. Thank you for your anointing, your blessing, Lord. And our hearts are full of expectancy and anticipation for all that you're going to do, not only on February the 11th, but moving forward beyond that day. And we just give you all the glory, all the praise, all the honor in Jesus name. Amen. The Father, on February 11th, we're not just going to hear from anointed presenters, including Doug, but Lord, we will get to respond to you mm. in worship and prayer. Thank you, Lord, that there is no real difference between worship and prayer. It is just both of those are opportunities for us to express how we feel about you and how desperate we are for more of you. Mm. So, Lord, as I pray these simple songs that was made famous by Keith Green, Lord, would you just receive it as a prayer from all of our hearts today? Thank oh, Lord. You're beautiful, your face is all I see, for when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. Thank you, oh my Father for giving us your son and leaving your spirit till the work on earth is done. Yes, in Jesus' Amen. name. Amen. Jesus. I'm not sure if when you were talking about doing DFW Awake, knowing it coincided with 50 years, since it was in Dallas at the courthouse of Roe versus Wade. But I believe there is a significance to this gathering and even where we'll be the night before, as well as throughout the day. I pray that those who watch the video or listen to the audio of the podcast would really prayerfully consider being a part. I think this is going to be an important gathering. It is free, but you need to register at unitedcry.com or unitedcry.org. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.